Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Arshi Mann, host of CanadaLand Commons. I love that show. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Jesse? I'm okay. Today on the show, let them eat cake. No, let them eat shit. Loblaws takes the heat over a tone-deaf price freeze and the unprecedented, unjustified, and probably unnecessary federal government power grab that nobody cares about. Arshi, welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. Happy to be here. This episode is brought to everybody by Holly Cooper, William Knight, Joshua Brown, Madison Matthews, Andrew Payette, Khadija Aluguma, Scott Lewis, and Aiden. My name is Aiden, and I'm a writer and stay-at-home dad in South Carolina and the United States. I support Candleland because thoughtful journalism is hard to find. Whether it's Commons Deep Dives, The Backbenches Analysis, or just talking shit about the news, I like what you guys do, and I want you to keep doing it. Loblaw is freezing prices on all items under its black and yellow no-name label. It's freezing prices on 1,500 no-name private label products. Canadians woke up Monday to this email from Galen Weston, president and chairman of Loblaw, the country's top grocer. Archie, I don't got to tell you that uh, the old paycheck doesn't go as far as it used to. And Canadians on Monday, I think, you know, an act of generosity by... Galen Weston by the Loblaws Company. Oh, you know, I've seen that guy in some TikToks. He's getting pretty popular. You know, I felt like this was finally something for the little guy. You know, people received this email from Loblaws. There was a press release announcing that they are freezing the prices, as you heard, of 
1,500 no-name. I really enjoyed how excited that first journalist sounded by that number. It was 1,500. I mean, it does sound pretty overwhelming. It's a lot of products. The journalists liked it. I think that our press did their jobs dutifully and passed the news on directly from press release to broadcast. If you read the Canadian press article and compare it to the press release, as we have done, many of the words are exactly the same. And the Canadian public was informed of this you know, noblesse oblige, act of generosity, just a little something to help during these trying times. And I thought to myself as a fellow captain of industry, I believe that the, the sentence was, good show, old man. <laughs> I, I made a note to congratulate Galen the next time I see him down at the club. But some whiners and uh, ingrates have to complain about everything. And yeah, I'm familiar with that impulse. Yeah, I, I understand that you are one of these whiners. <laughs> That's right. Archie, what possible quibble or complaint? How are you going to look this gift horse in the mouth? I would think you would be thrilled that your instant mashed potatoes and such, you have some level of, of security that they are not going to become yet more expensive. Well, it's not just instant mashed potatoes. You got pudding cups. You got some cookies. I mean, see, here's where I'm really disappointed. They're not making the president's choice, another private label that Loblaw owns. They're not promising to not raise the prices on those. And those cookies are so much better than the no-name Yes, cookie. but that's that's the president's choice. That, that's a frill. We're talking about no frills. Now, of course. This is something course. for the common man. So yes. what's your problem? I mean, I think the biggest problem that most people would have is that the prices have been going up and up and up. They're locking them in at a pretty high level already. And yet they're now expecting us to be happy about this, for us to give them credit and maybe a nice little applause for not deciding to gouge us as much as maybe they'd been planning to gouge us to begin with. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that grocery prices have been going through the roof and politicians have taken notice too. In fact, the House of Commons recently passed a motion unanimously denouncing the big grocery chains for greedflation, as they were calling it, which I think that's not as good of a portmanteau as as the politicians think it is. But either way, that's not the quibble here. But the, the big chains, and there's three of them in Canada, you have Loblaw, which owns a huge number of grocery stores, including ones that don't use a Loblaw name. Superstore is a Loblaw store. Of course, Shoppers Drug Mart even is owned by Loblaw. Then you've got Empire and you've got Metro. Those three chains get 60 cents on every dollar spent on groceries. So they're the ones who basically get to determine what the prices are. And now, what they've been arguing is that, look, inflation's going up, the cost of supply chains is more expensive than ever, and their suppliers are the ones gouging them, and they just have to pass that on to customers. Mm -hmm. And that just doesn't seem to be the case. Marco Oved at the Toronto Star did a pretty interesting little investigation a few months back in which he was looking at, okay, have the profit margins on the grocery stores changed? Are they making more or less off of us? Because you'd think if, if prices are going up, if they really are being gouged, well, then they're going to be, you know, taking a little bit of that pain as well as passing it off to the consumers. And while you weren't able to get into the numbers because these are mostly private, although these are public companies, they don't break out all of their accounting in a way that makes it simple to be like, okay, are the prices of, say, bread is that going up more than the price of cosmetics? Because, you know, you don't care if Loblaws gouges you on cosmetics. You care if they gouge you on bread. And 
what he was able to find is that, yeah, basically, they've not only maintained the profit margins, but in some cases, they're increasing them. So these companies are making way more money off of us at the same time that now they're expecting us to applaud them for this little act of charity. It's pretty goofy, and I think most Canadians see right through it. Well, you know, people like to say the media did this, the media did that. The media does a lot of things at once, and it's true what I said a moment ago. There were news reports just shamelessly giving Loblaw what it wanted and doing press release journalism and essentially an incredible amount of free publicity for this PR stunt. Those stories went out that were uncritically passing on the news of this wonderful act of largesse. But it's also true that the media is, I think, increasingly capable of doing a kind of journalism that I'd love to see a lot more of, which is just like consumer awareness shit. And and Marco Ovid at the Star is one of many, but he's been doing a great job of like, yeah, like there is a rate of inflation and then there's the, the rate of price inflation. And he was able to pretty thoroughly document that they're taking advantage. They're exploiting this moment to say, okay, people are used to prices going up. So let's just add a little on the top or let's add a lot on the top because everyone's sense of what things should cost is kind of in flux and we can get away with it. And here you have like the richest people in Canada exploiting people for their basic staple food items at a time when people are feeling more pinched than ever. And it was an interesting thing happened because on Monday, the first wave of stories came out just kind of like handing Loblaws the publicity that they wanted. And I think the backlash from the public was like swift. It was just like whiplash. And there was another round of stories where people were pointing out that this not only was a PR stunt, but we had reporters asking some really good questions. And, you know, the question was asked to Metro, about, like, what do you think of what Loblaw is doing here? And their answer was interesting in a couple of ways. Metro, their competitor, said, this is bullshit. I'm paraphrasing. This is bullshit because we all do price freezes on our house brands this time of year anyhow. Now, that was interesting to me in two ways, right? Because, okay, it's nice to hear confirmation that this is bullshit, but wait a minute. You all do price freezes at the same time every year? Like, that sounds a lot like price fixing. Well, I mean, Jesse, you're you're a pretty uh, competitive businessman, and I'm sure that any time that you're planning to do some kind of initiative, whether it's it's something for, for the listeners, maybe you're going to offer up ad-free podcasts, you're going to give a courtesy call to your friends over at CBC and make sure that, you know, they're on the same page as you, right? Like, isn't that how it works? That's my understanding of business anyways. Well, you know, you could have, you know, competitive business where you where you try to actually offer the consumer something at a better value. But, you know, that, that could quickly be a race to the bottom. And then before you know it, you're actually offering people real bargains. So you, you want to make sure that everybody else is, like, kind of calibrating their offer with yours. No, uh, this has not come to podcasting yet. Still actually competing with each other for things like, you know, CPMs on ads and stuff like that. But it has come to big grocery. Uh, big grocer? Big, what do you say in the... Uh, big food? Big no. Big food? Big, gro- big grocer is probably it. But, I mean, Metro's basically walked back that statement already in order to make the appearance of price fixing, you know, a little bit less. But obviously we have a lot of indication that these companies have worked together very well in the past. Probably the best known example, of course, is what happened with bread. So Loblaws already a few years ago admitted to basically being involved in a criminal conspiracy that lasted for more than a decade to take money out of every single Canadian's pockets, anybody who buys bread, to make sure that there is a high floor on the price and that nobody's competing over what's literally the most staple of staple goods. You know, I think that you are, like, unforgivably erasing the uh, gluten intolerant, the Atkins community. See, that's an interesting question. Was, like, gluten-free bread also fixed? I'm taking the piss here, but, like, 
really, this is a moment for sincerity. They fixed the fucking price of bread. They did it for years. Like, what do we say in editing news stories, but what does this have to do with the price of bread? Like, that's the litmus test for, like, is this a relevant news story to people? Like, we all like to imagine that our newsreader cares about what is happening in far-flung countries. But what does this have to do with their everyday life? What does this have to do with the price of bread? And we're getting to that time in history where that becomes a really important question. Like, can you afford to feed your kids? And these are companies that have colluded for years to gouge us uh, illegally. You're not allowed to do that as a cartel to fix prices on things like this. And there's another example, just in the more recent past, of them getting along pretty well. So people might remember that all the grocery stores decided to offer very generously hero pay during the pandemic, a little top-up to the people who were taking a risk, literally risking their lives to work in their grocery stores. And the big chains were like, you know what? This deserves an acknowledgement. This is basically risk pay. So we're going to give you a little bit more. A funny thing happened. They all decided to stop the hero pay all at once. And so we now know basically what happened is that one of the companies was thinking about moving away from this hero pay, and they decided to give a courtesy call to their friends at the other two mega chains, right. and they decided to get rid of it all at the same time. So not only were they essentially fixing prices when it comes to bread, they were fixing wages as well. You know, the bread price fixing, that was a few years back now. Some people might think of it as distant memory. This was recently. And at a time of, of emergency and, and at a time when, yes, like I, I thought that during those early days when you really didn't know, like you didn't want to be within like, you know, a few feet of any human being. And then you go, you have to buy your groceries. And you're like, this poor teenager here is like face to face with people nonstop stocking up on on toilet paper. You know, like the, the ways in which this is offending Canadians, like, and it's getting documented, to freeze your prices at the moment that you have been raising them and raising them beyond the price of inflation and gouging people is essentially like what you're really guaranteeing people is you're not going to actually be taking your prices down. And like you say, it's only to one line of their products, you know? So who's to say that they're not just going to go raise the prices on their other products to make up for whatever money they are losing on, you know, the no-name. I mean, that's the subtext, right? Like, if they're saying that they're only going to keep the prices on no-name, then everything else is fair game for them. I'd like to see, like, consistent, regular coverage of prices. I'd like to see naming and shaming when certain items, you know, because they always do that. They, like, it's the door crasher, and then somewhere else there's another product that they know that, like, they, 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 they've got this down. They know that there are certain, like, benchmark items that people track what the price is and other things where people get a bit confused. And then there's, like, intentional confusion and, like, I mean, trying to do the long division on, you know, like, the ply of toilet paper to figure out what your, where your best value is, and they purposely flummox you by, like, fucking around with a number of sheets. They're making it hard to be a consumer. I'd love to see the media giving regular updates. But times are tough in the media, too. Archie, the media can only afford one expert to talk about this. His name is Sylvain Charlebois. Ah, the food professor. The food professor. He was used this week. He was working hard this week. Times are not tough for Sylvain Charlebois. He was on City News. Agri-food expert Sylvain Charlebois. He was on CBC. Sylvain Charlebois from Dalhousie. He was on Bloomberg. We're joined now by Sylvain Charlebois. He was on Global. It's been hard for grocers to predict costs. So, you know, we're, we're feeling the pinch too here. I'm not sure if we have the capacity to build out our consumer reports in, in the wider media.
I mean, Syl- Sylvain's a pretty smart guy. And regards the fact that that he's out there getting his research out there and making his points known. But of course, there's a lot of other viewpoints on this. And I think one thing that I find really frustrating about this whole conversation, and this applies not just to the grocery stores, but to the broader question of inflation, is we talk about inflation as if it's a force of nature, as if it's some phenomenon beyond our control. When, you know, this is something that Marco Ovid, who I mentioned earlier, said to me. He said that, look, inflation is a consequence of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of decisions that are made. And those decisions, the most impactful ones, come, yes, from governments, from central banks, but also from massive businesses like Loblaw, like Empire, like Metro, who have the ability to kind of set the price for everything else. I mean, these companies have such enormous market power Mm -hmm. that they shape the rest of the kind of inflationary world in Canada. So it's not just the Bank of Canada. There is no actual savings here. The benefit is intangible if it exists at all. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be poor in a few months, right? This isn't going to really help me out. I think everybody who's listening is feeling the pinch. A lot of people are having to make decisions that they didn't have to make before about putting food on the table versus all kinds of other things, just normal life stuff. And yeah, I'm not thankful to any politician. I'm glad that the NDP is pushing on this, but don't take a victory lap. Give me a break. You actually have some power here if you're the NDP now. This is a minority government. And yes, you were able to get the issue on the table by really sticking it to these big companies. Mm-hmm. They, you got to give them credit for that. But don't stop here. This is not the end point. This is a, a beginning. Just because you get Loblaw to acknowledge that there might be a problem with rising grocery store prices, it doesn't mean that you should shut up. So there's one quote I want to read you from a few months ago. This is from Michael Medline, who's the CEO of Empire, one of the three big grocery stores. And they run, you know, Sobeys, Safeway, Freshco, IGA, Farm Boy, even all those. You can see yeah. how many different grocery stores these chains own. You know, the right? illusion of competition in the marketplace is exactly. a big part of this. I think the most shocking one, by the way, is that Loblaw owns TNT, the Asian uh, grocery store, which is really disappointing. They snapped that up and they snapped up ours, which was this lovely supermarket owned by this Lebanese family. And now now it's a Loblaw company as well. Of course it is. But I want to read you this quote from, from the CEO of Empire. And this is regarding all the coverage about grocery prices. Quote, quite frankly, I am tired of these armchair quarterbacks who make little effort to understand even the basics of our business, but are comfortable sitting on the sidelines pontificating about how Canadian companies are reaping unreasonable profits on the backs of inflation. Now, Jesse, I think he's talking about us. I think we're the armchair quarterbacks pontificating, aren't we? I know, but he's got it all wrong. I'm I'm, I'm rarely comfortable. (laughs) That's absolutely true. He showed us, though. Listen, the NDP and other legislators will have a chance to probe this, and I'll I'll be watching the coverage really closely because there is going to be a House committee probing big grocers uh, on their profits to see if they have been exploiting everybody for basic goods. And, like, I think the climate is changing. I, for one, am sometimes in favor of guillotines, you know? Like, uh, you know, the time might be right. I'll be following this very closely. I know that you're following this closely, and you've got the facts on hand because you've been living in this topic. Oh, yeah. I can see you admiring my segue here. (laughs) Yeah. This is what the next season of Commons is all about. This is exactly what we've been digging into over at Commons. And we're going to be looking at why is it that it seems like almost every aspect of our lives in Canada is somehow run by these giant monopolistic, oligopolistic enterprises. 
This is another heritage moment. 14 and 16 years of colluding to fix the price of bread. The dairy lobby does have a cudgel in its war chest. You don't want to be the guy who stands on the Parmesan ledge. I think most businesses, when they get a visit like this, they just say, I don't have the energy. Power is power. It will do everything it possibly can to protect its interests. And the grocery stores were just cha-ching, cha-ching every day. Of course we make shitloads of money. They kind of operate in the shadows, right? They exert this huge influence. People know what you're talking about when you say the company. It looms like a, a massive presence over Canadian history. It was a brutal competition, and there were murders. Our industry is kind of in crisis. This problem is not going to go away. People... When they play Monopoly, they always end up flipping the table, and maybe that's what we need. Yeah, I've been excited about this since you started working on it, because, like, I just wanted to know the story of, like, how did we get here? Because it really does feel like, I mean, I know that there's consolidation in, in you know, across the world, especially the Western world. But, like, it feels particularly acute in Canada. And when you live in it, you kind of can just think it's normal. I know that what you found is that, no, this is not normal. It's not, like, by accident. This is, like, on purpose. It required the participation of government, and it's been happening from the start. And I just want to hear the stories of, of how we got here. And uh, I know that's what you're doing. So everybody, if you don't subscribe to Commons already, shame on you. Go do that right now. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Arsha, you know how we do. We duly note. I got one for you. Let's hear it, Jesse. I'm going to duly note something that uh, the first part of this, I think people might have caught. This is like an interesting exchange that our Deputy Prime Minister, Christia Freeland, had when she was speaking to a crowd at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. It was a question she received from a gentleman in the audience 
that was regarding what Western countries have planned in terms of aid for the African continent. All of this focus on Ukraine, and there are whispers that they will be defunding, reducing funding, in order to fund extra help that is being sent to Ukraine. This guy was saying to her, you know, like, it's the same issue. Russia's knocking at our doors uh, in Africa, just the same as what's going on in Ukraine. What do you got to say about that? And she kind of responded off the cuff, and what she said was... One of the sort of profound lessons, I think, of the war in Ukraine is democracy can only be built by people themselves, for themselves. And a democracy can only be defended by people themselves if they're actually prepared to die for their democracy. That was pretty controversial. I'd say so. Uh, I'd even go so far as to say that there's some pretty fucking racist assumptions in that statement. There are, and there's a whole conversation that could happen about how aid works and where that was coming from and what political philosophy underlies it. But, you know, the decision was retreat, retreat, apologize. And the apology is what I want to duly note. I don't think I've seen this apology. Let's hear it. Okay, so Freeland apologized. And, you know, she kind of was just doing the, like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, it was insensitive and I want to recognize the harm done by colonialism. And then she said this. And I think the first answer, um, if a person uh, has a, you know, a white Western person uh, has offended someone, the first answer is to say, I really didn't mean to offend you. What? I know, right? That's weird. What, 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 what does that mean? Also, why is it a white Western person? I mean... Like, one, it's it's like, okay, your first impulse is the non-apology apology. That's what you're supposed to do. Apparently. I'm sorry I offended you. That's part of the patronizing part of this. But, like, like, it sounds like she's saying the, like, all right, I know the dance now. I'm the white Western person. And the first, and I, I know that no matter the circumstances, if the white Western person's offended you, then I know that the thing to do is to apologize. I didn't mean to offend you. That wasn't my intention. Some people are saying, like, give her a break. She was sleepy. It was a brain fart. But, like, I kind of feel like she was sort of telling the truth. Like, she was sort of saying, like, I am doing what I am supposed to do. I am performing the necessary apology. And given that I'm a white and given that I'm a Western, it doesn't really matter who's right or wrong in this. I have to apologize. So it's a gaffe in the classical sense. She accidentally told the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that deserves due notation. Duly noted. What do you got? So I have an update on a story that I've been closely following for four years now uh, that I think is the most interesting story in the city of Toronto that nobody ever talks about. It's a story about a man called Spiros Papathanasakis. Now, I can't say that he's corrupt. There's He's never been convicted of anything. Mm-hmm. He has, you know, no criminal charges against him as far as I know. But what the Globe and Mail four years ago was able to find was that This guy, for some reason, an unelected official, somebody who nobody really knew about, was able to influence and have an enormous amount of almost control over certain levels of government. You know, Spears kind of went away for the last four years, but he's back in the news today. He's closely associated now with the budget chief in the city of Toronto who's running for re-election, a strong ally of John Tory. And so when the Globe and Mail was actually looking into this again, and they were taking photos of Spiros and the budget chief together, one of Spiros' associates came up to the photographer and told him that he better delete the photos and that if he didn't, he should, quote, expect new experiences 
Now, I don't know about you, Jesse, but to me, that sounds like a threat. The Globe and Mail photographer did not delete the photos, and you can see them published in the Globe today. But either way, right now, there's a kind of narrative in Toronto that this is the most boring city election ever, that there's no real issues at stake. And I just find it interesting that when we have a pretty big, salacious even, story like this in the Globe and Mail about a man who's able to exert untold influence over not just the city government, but the provincial government at times, the school board, uh, even hospital boards, that nobody seems to really be talking about it outside of the reporters at the Globe. So I encourage people to check out those stories. You can look it up by just Googling controversial political fixer reemerges in Toronto election campaign. And I promise you it is far more interesting than that headline lets up. Or they could just Google Papa Pump and Canada Land because you did an excellent uh, couple of episodes and that'll take people to it. Duly noted. Archie, I got one more thing to duly note. All right. Canada Land Back is back. We are so excited about this series. And Karen Pugliese is the host and Kim Wheeler is producing this. And, and these are like two incredible journalistic heavyweights. And the first episode is the story of Ipperwash, Stony Creek. They've done an incredible job. And I know people have been anticipating Canada Land Back. I get emails from listeners about it all the time. We are absolutely 100% committed to this project and so happy to be bringing it to you and for it to be as great as it is. So uh, that's going to be on the Canada Land feed on Monday. Canada Land back. You know, I'm really excited for it just because normally I kind of know what's in the works at Canada Land, what the episodes are going to be about, have a sense of it. But for this one, I have no idea. So I'm really just going to be listening as a first time listener, as somebody with with brand new fresh ears. And I know that Karen and Kim are going to do a great job. So I'm really excited. This is truly about part of Canada Land being Indigenous-led journalism. This is a co-production between us and the National Observer, our first co-production, and people can check it out on Monday. Duly noted. A massive police operation after an unprecedented move by the Prime Minister invoking the Emergencies Act. So at issue for this inquiry in the days and weeks ahead, was the Trudeau government justified in using the act or was it an overreach? Yesterday, Ottawa's outgoing mayor says he was frustrated with both the provincial and federal governments over inaction against the so-called Freedom Convoy that took over his city last winter. Archie, these hearings are taking place. They're going to be taking place for a long time. And they're pretty astonishing. Like, it's pretty rare to get this level of insight into what the prime minister's office had to say to mayors, what they had to say to premiers, what the communications were like between cops and private communications, previously private, uh, Justin Trudeau are being exposed in these hearings. We're learning a ton about not just the biggest story in Canada, not even a year ago, the occupation of Ottawa, the Freedom Convoy protests, but like international news out of Canada. And we're learning like all kinds of granular information about it. It would not be accurate to say that these hearings are going unreported. Plenty of coverage. It might be accurate to say that they are going ignored by like most people. Jesse, can I make a confession? Please. I've been basically ignoring these hearings. Why? Why? It's like there are the revelations every day. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate the honesty of uh, this columnist from Post Media. This is from a Post Media paper, uh, the Sioux star, Doug Milroy. Here's his headline. Use of emergency act. Okay. By me, whatever the hearings find, whatever, what, whatever, whatever. Even if it was directed by the lizard people themselves. Whatever. Then, yeah. Here's what old Doug has to say. I appreciate his honesty. He says, you know, the lawyers for the government and the protesters will no doubt have been going at it hot and heavy, these hearings. It won't matter a whit to me. You see, I made up my mind long ago. 
Indeed, I did it while it was happening. I fully agreed then with the government's move, and I still do. That, that's very proud to say, like, I'm, I'm, I, I don't care about information, facts, or revelations. I don't care about the evidence that's going to come out. This was fine. I mean, you know, you, you do have to appreciate that sentiment a little bit because I think more journalists that are willing to admit do think that way. And at least this guy's up front with it. I believe him. I believe you, too. I, I, I believe that if we learn, as we are learning, that there was no national emergency, Canada and its national security were not in jeopardy. If we learn, as we are learning, that there was not even a provincial emergency, that, we, that this was a municipal emergency. If we learn that there were no guns or bombs. If we learn that there was no physical violence. And, and I don't think that anybody even went to the ER during the occupation of Ottawa, unless you count, like, the protester Candice Cero, the Mohawk woman who was stepped on by a horse. Or if we're going to look at this nationally, there were four protesters who went to the hospital when some lunatic drove into the crowd of protesters, but people like harmed by the protesters themselves, even if we learn that that, like nobody suffered severe violence, even if we learn that no police force asked for the Emergencies Act, which we were told they did, the federal government told us, the, the cops said, we can't do anything, we need you to step in. Mendicino was lying, and we're learning that the OPP has said at these hearings that the Emergencies Act was not necessary. The premiers of Saskatchewan and Alberta have said that they, they did not receive any warning about this. They were not consulted about this. Even if all of that becomes apparent, I don't think people are going to give a damn. I mean, it is a story that is being covered by the media. So even while I was ignoring it up until recently, when you mentioned you wanted this as a topic yesterday, I did start to dig in. And I don't think the journalists are doing a bad job. Nope. I, I'd even say they're doing a pretty good job. Nope, it's, not, it's not the media's fault. It's getting covered. And people are asking the right questions. And there are a lot of fascinating things that are popping up. If nothing else, just getting that inside look into how governments actually interact with each other when they have an issue that they really want pushed. Seeing how officials from the city of Ottawa were calling out federal ministers, accusing the RCMP of lying uh, seeing how the province and Doug Ford basically just got out of the way and refused to even engage on this the issue. The Doug Ford stuff. And he's not even set to testify. And this was the question. It's like, I don't understand why you need these powers. We have police who can clear protests, right? So if the Ottawa police fucked up, let's just say they fucked up out of incompetence and not malice. I mean, there are some questions I have about how many people among the cops were like complicit with this and maybe even on the side of the protesters. But they obviously fucked up in letting the truckers get downtown in the first place. So let's heap scoring on the Ottawa police, but then let's go to the province, okay? Because the province could step in at any time. And now we're learning that Justin Trudeau himself said that Doug Ford was hiding. He was hiding when this all happened. And it does seem like he was literally hiding. He refused to show up to meetings between the three levels of government. Refu See, now you're excited. Now you're with me here. Like Doug Ford refused. This is happening in his province. It's international news, and he refused to show up, right? So a lot of people say that this is all justification for what the federal government did, but that is not what the Emergency Act exists for. It's not if other levels of authority are really bad at their jobs, you can essentially put the Constitution on hold, revoke civil liberties, step in and do what you want. It's if the other levels of government don't have the tools. They don't exist. They don't have those powers. They're very strict about this. And the reason why we're having hearings now is not because of public outcry. It's because like, this is such a serious thing, the emergency act that it's never been used before and baked into the act is if you ever use this thing, you must have an inquiry. 
to justify why you did it. And you must do what like the federal government never does. You have to show your entire decision making. Like usually they can say, hey, you know, if you knew what we knew, you'd see that this was justified. So this is fascinating just from like a journalist point of view and like getting to see this stuff. But people are just absolutely checked out. And I think it's just like the simple math. And I, I, I regret this, but I'm going to have to quote, he's an idiot, but he's a useful idiot. Ed the Sock. No, yep. no, Jesse, you I'm didn't bring me on a podcast to quote Ed the Sock at me. Like that Sue columnist, he said what a lot of people are thinking. <sighs> All right. Here's my take on the Emergencies Act. Before it was enacted, trucks were blocking traffic, harassing citizens, disrupting people's sleep, and the police did nothing. After the Emergencies Act, that crap was ended. Simple math. It was necessary. That's great, Ed. Like... That's a great take. Here's my take. Before Justin Trudeau shaved his quarantine beard, the truckers were wreaking mayhem. After he shaved it, that crap ended. Simple math. Simple math. The shaving was necessary. The exact timing of the beard shave, unverified. Am I making too much of an Ed tweet? No, I, I think that he's speaking for a lot of people. I think that the indifference towards this, like, and I've been having this, like, debate for a very long time. People think, like, have you, like, flipped sides or something? It's like, I would be saying the exact same things if this was any other protest. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to seize powers that we have lots of checks and balances to stop the federal government from, from seizing. And, like, I'm having a debate with people for months now, not about, like, whether it was justified, but whether it even is a big deal and whether people's rights even were revoked. Your right to go somewhere, freedom of assembly, is one of the basics. Your right to property, you know, if the government can, like, freeze your bank account, that is one of the basics. So the basics were stepped upon. And we either care about that and we care about why you do that or we don't. And I, I at least want to get to some truth here. If the answer is we don't, we don't care about that. This made us really uncomfortable. You know, it, it certainly was harming people in Ottawa, but everybody else just felt really unsafe and uncomfortable. And we don't give a shit about our civil rights because we weren't using them anyhow. We, we, don't, we don't give a shit about the justification. We just care that it ended. And at least let's just be honest about that. Like, let's just stop, like, prioritizing as if this is, like, we're a, a freedom country. We're not a freedom country. We're a safety country. We're a security country. You know, in, in some ways, the reason I haven't been paying that close of attention to these hearings is because a little like our friend from Sault Ste. Marie, who you quoted earlier, I kind of made up my mind about this back when it happened, and I was totally and utterly opposed. I mean, any time a government uses emergency powers to clear a protest when there isn't an actual threat that can be seen, that is a massive deal. The bar to clear when it comes to taking away people's civil liberties, like you said, freezing their bank accounts, clearing them from the streets, doing all of this kind of stuff is incredibly, incredibly high. Basically, it would have to be a January 6th type plot happening. And that seems to be what a lot of people believed might be going on there. I thought that's what was going to happen. I was afraid of that. I said it on the show. Like, I think that we're going to have a January I think that everybody was primed for that. And it was in the context of January 6th that everybody was watching this. We were scared shitless. And you have to admit when you're wrong, that didn't happen. They did not storm the Capitol. It was not a coup. It, like, there was not a coup attempt. There were some lunatics running the thing who had an idiotic document that suggested that. But what, what actually happened was not what people feared, what I feared, 
was going to happen. And also, even if you had some people break into to parliament, do you need emergency powers to necessarily deal with that, right? Is that just a policing matter once again? I'm not even saying that they shouldn't have been physically removed from the streets, but like cops do that on the reg. Like you don't need to like stop democracy and in some form, like like people are like, oh, this isn't the War Measures Act. This is the emergency. It's not a, like it's it's not martial law, but it's like martial law light. It is literally a successor to the War Measures Act, right? I mean, it is not the War Measures Act. That is true, but it, it was put in place to replace it, there are more protections. And like, as you mentioned, I find it kind of incredible that we're able to have an inquiry in which all this stuff comes out automatically. I mean, think about how long it took to get an inquiry, a real inquiry, which some would argue we still don't have, I'd argue that, when it comes to port the killings in port the government was refusing. And they pushed and they pushed and they pushed it back to the point where people started to care less and less about it outside of Nova Scotia, at least. But they were forced to have that inquiry ultimately because of public outcry. And this one is like the public just seems to completely out to lunch. And, and this one they're doing because they have to. And like, let's let's get down to it. Why does this matter in like not a theoretical way? Because precedents are real. The slippery slope is real. And I have no doubt that what they can get away with here will be applied to protests in the future, right? So what are the consequences? I agree with you that the hearing's fantastic. We're getting so much information. The journalists are covering it and people can read it or not. I guess that's up to the people. But what will the consequences of these hearings be? You know what I think the consequences of these hearings are going to be? They're not going to use the Emergency Act again. This is too much transparency for basically any level of government. I think actually this might have the opposite effect of ensuring that this doesn't get used. So I don't know, maybe this this legislation was actually built in a smart way that they do have to actually justify it. Again, I still don't think it was the right thing to do at all, period. This should have just been a civil policing matter from the beginning. They had the powers. It's clear now from what we're seeing that they could have done that and that, in fact, multiple levels of government were checked out. And that was one of the main problems. But I don't think this is actually going to lead them to use this power again because they don't want their emails to be out there. They don't want their text messages to be out there. I think instead we're going to have, you know, similarly repressive police actions that get taken and we're going to have no transparency on those. And we see that all of the time That's when a good it comes point. to police That's actions. a good point that no, no police force is going to want to look like the Ottawa police looked. But I, I, I can't agree or disagree with your prognosis because we don't have a crystal ball. Like it's, But it really does feel like a binary, right? Like I feel like I could easily see this going that the recommendations come out. We find out that they were completely unjustified in doing this. And nobody cares. I could see it going either way. It's just on the fulcrum of political cost, right? Canadians sometimes love it when a liberal prime minister acts tough, you know? And on a bunch of recommendations, who cares? If this goes down in history as uh, Justin's just watch me moment, then I think that he'll learn the lesson that, like, this is a good thing to do and use whatever power is available. I think it's just going to depend on whether there's a political cost or not. See, I just don't think it'll matter. This is not the kind of stuff that people vote on. You know what people are going to be voting on? They're going to be voting on the grocery prices, the stuff we were talking about earlier. Literally, the cost of bread, that is what gets people impassioned at the ballot box. And unfortunately, whether you like it or not, people just do not give a shit about uh, civil liberties being impinged. And... I don't begrudge voters for that. It's our job as journalists to make sure that that stuff's at least out in the open, that people can make their own decisions based off of it. And, you know, at least in this instance, I'm glad we're getting a modicum, a modicum of transparency. Nice callback to groceries. Go subscribe to Commons for Monopolies coming soon. 
That shortcuts this week, Arshi. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. I can be emailed at jesse at CanadaLand.com, and I read what you send. Arshi, where can people find you? Find me on Twitter at ArshiMan, or you can also email me, Arshi at CanadaLand.com. And of course, you can hear me in the upcoming season of Commons Monopoly. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our production coordinator is Andre Proof. Our theme music is by so-called syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at CFUV.ca. Listen, this is how we do this with your support. If you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts and lots of good stuff, hit the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.